This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 162 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And today we're showing true dedication by recording a show on Christmas Eve. In fact, I'm coming from Dublin and um, it's 10.30 p.m. over here. I'm drinking my can of Heineken, so I'm going to get gradually drunk as the show goes on. Jason is uh, <laughs> Jason's in Los Angeles. So basically what you're saying is any sightings of Santa on your part will have to be discounted? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. So how's, uh, how's everything going in, uh, in Dublin? Everything's going good. And, uh, you know, um, I have basically been at the pub all day. So I took, I took a, a breather from drinking the uh, Irish alcohol about two and a half hours ago. So I'm kind of back sober again now. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, as you've correctly pointed out over the last few episodes, Ireland is all about the pub experience. Right. That's why it seems like it'd be hard to be in Ireland and not drink. I, I would think. <laughs> yeah. have any kind of social life, right? <laughs> right? Well, it's funny. People have just great conversation, great banter. And as they say in Ireland, the crack is mighty, you know? So what do you do with most of your time there? And you've been there, what, a few weeks now? Yeah. Well, I was working up until the 22nd, but got the work that I needed to get done for Company 52. So now we have a holiday vacation until the 26th. So pretty much all I've been doing is hanging out with friends and partying. So would you call this a workcation? This is well, at this stage it's more of a vacation. <laughs> this part. <laughs> right. Well, cool. well you said uh, I, I asked you just for the show if you had any topics and you said no, but you'd explain on the show. So what's, <laughs> well, what's so so but that's my explanation. I've been in the pub all day. I'm not gonna I mean I'm not gonna look up topics while I'm in the pub. <laughs> well, okay. I, I don't know about you, but I tend to um sort of store links throughout the week as I, as I've come across anything interesting. Yeah. Um, and then just right before the show, what I'll do is I'll, as I'll kind of go through what I had uh, put in a text file and see if there's anything that I think is really good. Um, so you don't do that during the week. You don't do any, you don't like put things aside and say, okay, this is something I want to look at. Oh, I guess I do have a few things like, for example, functioning synapse created using carbon nanotubes and even profitable firms are fleeing California and also some texting shout outs. Um, in fact, I'll bring one up right now. We've got Felix Long who uh, donated $25 to us. Thank you very much. Uh, texting donation. And I guess that was his, um, his, as he puts it himself, his early Christmas present for us. He says, Hey guys, here's an early Christmas gift and thanks for hosting texting and keep me entertained and educated for yet another year. We actually keep people educated. That's a nice side effect. Um, well, <laughs> I think Felix was one of very. Of, he made one of the very first donations, didn't he? He he ha, he's he's been a long time listener. I'm sure he's he's listened since episode one, and he's commented on many um many episodes as well on the blog. Thanks right. so much, Felix. Yeah. Uh, so textinglive.com forward slash donate if you want to give us some extra special festive cheer. <laughs> right. How much do we have in the kitty now? Have we we've been saving up because we haven't spent uh, any money on anything since. We bought the digital recorder back in, what, June for the uh, microconf? I would say we haven't quite broken even on that digital recorder. Because at that time, we had a push, but the amount donated didn't quite cover it. And since then, we've had about $45 donated. 
<laughs> That's pathetic. That is pathetic. Forty-five dollars donated since June. Yeah, I think so. God, I I could save up more in change. Like if I just just a change at the end of the day, and I put it in a can, I'd have more than that within right. like with but in six months. But That's, we're not complaining. We don't we don't do the show for the donations. We do it for the girls. Yes. Wait, no, we don't do it for the girls. We're already married. What do we do it for again? <laughs> we do it for fame and recognition. Right. Well, you know what we did do? It did, um, what did happen is we got a, a lot of really nice emails. Oh, we did. Listeners. We probably got at least, I don't know, what, five or six? Well, Adam, yeah, yeah, yeah we did. Got, and and um, Adam George, just to, just a shout out one person right there. And that, that's a free shout out. So I guess Felix is probably feeling hard done by now. But just just sent a really nice email, just saying, just thanks a lot, guys. Um, basically, he works in Australia. He's an Aussie web web developer. Um, he lives in a regional regional area, and um, he works in a job that is not the best job in the world for him. Like it's not so inspiring. So what he does is he listens to texting, and um, that helps get him through the day. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I really appreciated a lot of those emails. I mean, it's, you know, we do, we do spend a fair amount of time on the show. Um, and it's, it's kind of thing where it's, after a while, it, I mean, even if you enjoy it, it is work, right? Because it's oh, yeah. like this one more thing we got to do during the week. You got to prep for it. You got to spend the time actually doing it. And then we got to, you know, do the post-production, write up notes and, and respond to comments, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, I would say it's like a part-time job, but, you know, it's a big chunk of time that has to be devoted to it every week. And it's just something that you're obligated to, right? I mean, it's, it's an obligation is always a little stressful. It's like, Oh, I got to do this thing and I gotta, you know, I gotta make time for it and whatever. So having people send us emails telling us how much they appreciate it or, or even leaving comments expressing the same thing really does. Or reviewing us at iTunes. Yeah, that would, that's nice too, but it does help. I, I really do appreciate it. Cause sometimes, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I do enjoy it. And would do it, for, and would do it for no other reason than just the fun of it. But sometimes you do start asking yourself, like, ah, do I want to keep doing this? But when you hear, when we get emails like that, it's like, all right, yeah, we need to keep pressing forward. <laughs> so tell me, you've got you've got three kids, right? And um, obviously, at last count, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so so how how do you have time even on Christmas Eve to do this show? Well, I'd have to give a lot of credit to my wife, um, Sandy, for uh, sort of. I don't know, arranging our schedule so things can work out. I mean, she's very, um, I, don't know, I don't know how to describe her, but she's just very efficient and organized and sort of operational. Yeah. <laughs> so she'll be like, okay, so I'm going to take the kids to do this. Now, you, this will give you a two-hour block of time, and you can do that. And then, you know, it's sort of, and, and I've, I've talked a little bit about this before, but um, we do a lot of sort of division of labor where a lot of couples will do everything together. They cook together, they go shopping together, they bathe the baby together. And that is, can be really nice and, um, and everything, but it's very inefficient where Sandy and I, it's a lot more like, okay, I take the kids to the park and then she can do things she needs to do. And then I come back here and then she watches them or does something with them. And then I can, you know, record the podcast or get some work done, that kind of stuff. So, um, that sounds like a blog post waiting to happen, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what you said to me last week, and see what happened. I, mean, I you know, told me- I know. That's what I was going to say. So, your blog post about Sopa uh, was on the front page of Hacker News, number two, number three, all day yesterday. So you didn't quite ring the bell, but you definitely pinned it. And- yeah, it was really tough. There was a um, there's a big post up there, number one, about GoDaddy and Sopa that had I don't know five or six hundred po- 
points. I think on a normal week, had it not been for the GoDaddy SOPA stuff, I might yeah. have hit number one, but it was just, uh, it was the competition was too, too tight. Yeah, I was just going to say this Christmas, this Christmas is the Christmas of SOPA, SOPA Christmas, SOPA because Christmas. I'm looking at um, news.ycombinator.com forward slash best, and every link is, practically every link is SOPA. <laughs> yeah and it's and there's, there's just a lot of stuff about soper and what you wrote obviously uh touched a lot of people's hearts shall we say <laughs> <laughs> well let's do it this way i mean i i had a little more different take on things i unfortunately okay i'll just just for people who don't who didn't listen to last last show basically my my point was that the pro sopa faction is spending a lot of money has has donated a lot of money to politicians they're supporting politicians with you know however you, you do it by you know through through pushing the money through lobbyists through donations or whatever and uh they're 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 getting their voices are heard and they're being supported and if if the anti-sopa faction wants to compete with that they're going to have to uh, start writing some checks they can't just tweet about it and sign open letters it's just not going to do it and well i understand that it's a it's it, it might come across as sort of cynical in a way that's just how our political system works if you want access if you want um the politicians to take you seriously and listen to you and you're gonna have to um you're going to have to speak with money to some degree. And I hate it as much as anybody else, but um, that's, it's, it's sort of, if you want to stop SOPA from passing, that's what's going to have to happen. And it may be too late, but. So the, you kind of pissed off the idealists in the world. Yeah. You know, and I have a lot of empathy for them, right? I mean, I, I'm sort of an idealist too, and I don't like having to be the Machiavellian here. Right. I mean, I, I hate it that our, our, uh, our politics is so manipulated by money that money is such an, um, that we, if you don't have money, you, you have very little voice and that's not really how democracy should work. But unfortunately that's not the world we live in. And I, I was just saying, I was just trying to make the point that that's, you know, if you're going to make, if you're going to stop soap, that's what you're going to have to do. And that's the same thing what Machiavelli said when he wrote The Prince. And it was sort of as a response to, you know, the teachings of like Plato and Aristotle about like the ideal polity and, you know, how you, how it should work and just rulers and all that. And he's like, listen, if you want to rule, you want to maintain control, this is what you got to do. And yeah, it definitely, it definitely rubs some people the wrong way. And I understand that. And it rubs me the wrong way to a certain degree. But um, you know, that was, I so, think that yeah. uh, Alex Gemmel, um, who was, uh, co-hosting the show three weeks ago or two, two episodes ago, um, he responded to you, right? So what, what did he say? Well, you know, I was just trying to finish reading it, but basically he, he was taking the position of the idealist, which is like, it's a dangerous game to play. Um, it, 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 why don't you, um, why don't you read it out? Do you want to oh, read is it? it? Is it long? Well, yeah, it might be too long to read. No, you can't read it out. Yeah, but so, no, that's that's fine. I mean, if just so paraphrased, he was kind of coming from the idealist um, viewpoint. Yeah, I'll, I'll read this one paragraph. He says, "Do not play their game. It is bullshit. Paying off politicians doesn't change anything. You may win in this round, but then there's round two and three and four. Huge corporations pile all their money into changing the law to suit them better. Pretty much the same story of the last hundred years." Well, that's the way it works with with uh, racketeers, isn't it? I mean, you've got to keep pushing money their way. So the other guys are going to keep pushing money their way. So if the sopa, if the anti sopa lobby doesn't keep pushing their money their way, then they're going to they're just going to lose out. I mean, it really is. You just have to keep the wheel greased. 
Is that what, is that what uh, you think? Unfortunately, you either have to, I mean, I guess there's a couple different options. I mean, option one is you take the high road and just hope that somehow the politicians are going to you know, rule in your favor, that they're going to vote in your favor, um, that somehow you're going to get enough of the word out through tweeting and writing blog posts that um, enough people are going to know and and the, and, and the politicians are going to become scared because they're going to realize that they're voting against uh, voting for something that's very unpopular. Um, I think that's a very low probability. Um, it's very low probability that's going to happen. Um, and I think this is there's a fair amount on the line here. I mean, this is an important. This could be a damaging piece of legislation. Um, the other option is that you do some kind of guerrilla, use some kind of guerrilla tactics, like um, boycotting GoDaddy. Right now, GoDaddy was like one of like I don't know a couple hundred pro SAP, pro SOPA companies. Yeah. And there was a list put out by I don't know VentureBeat or one of these um, sites that listed all of the pro SOPA supporters, and um, GoDaddy was just low hanging fruit, right? I mean that's like you know like you have like they, they show movies where they show like the um, British infantry or something you know marching through the woods and like in like you'd have like gorilla. Uh, army like the Indians or the Americans try and take off like a couple of guys at the very back, yeah. you know, and that's kind of like what it is, right? I mean, it's like the GoDaddy was that last guy <laughs> in the very back of the of the, all the troops who well, got people taken already out. hated GoDaddy. That's true, but see, the thing about GoDaddy is that they're very susceptible to that kind of boycott, right? Because yeah. they do so easy. That's to... what they do is host domains. That's these are the people they're dealing with. Yeah. Now, Elsevier is one of the pro SOPA companies. Do you oh, think really the guy, the company I used to work for? Yeah, and so do you, would you think they're going to care? No. No, they're just going to be gonna gonna do? all the way. You're not, no, you're not going to do that to, in, in McGraw-Hill and all these other big companies. It just, they're not going to be easy targets. They're not low-hanging fruit like, um, like GoDaddy. And so it was a nice, you know, it was a nice fun little victory, and, and it forced GoDaddy to change their position. And that, was, that, that felt good. Well, did it? But, Have you looked at the front page of Hacker News? Basically, the top story right now is GoDaddy has not withdrawn its official congressional support for SOPA. So basically, there's a quote from an interview posted yesterday on TechCrunch, and the, the long and the short of it is, they're like, uh, well, we still kind of believe in what we said about SOPA, but we're just kind of saying that we don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know, right? I mean, and the, 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 the third option is that there's some new creative way to change the system. There, there are some people who are advocating for, like, somehow we're just going to change the system. Now, it's not that I don't think that the American political system can be changed, transformed in some way, but that's, that's, you're talking decades. I mean, that would require a huge amount of political will that would ultimately require a lot of, uh, I, I don't know if I want to say money, but it would be resources coming in from a lot of different directions to, to force that kind of a change. That would be and, awesome. Basically taking money out of politics. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I, you know, and that's a much bigger conversation, and I'm as for it as anybody. But um, I'm just trying to be realistic in terms of like what happens in the next few weeks here. Right. And um, if you're talking about changing the the entire political system in the next few weeks, forget about it. And what um, what a couple of people said, uh, Alex included, was that look, if you pay them, then there's round two. You know, and I don't mean you pay them, but you have to like support politicians that are going to protect the internet, for instance, that are going to be voting for the kinds of things that help um, technology companies, that help uh, entrepreneurship, that help, I don't know, the kind of things that hackers care about. 
right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it gets really complicated because, you know, in some cases it might be Democrats, in some cases it might be Republicans, in some cases it might be Libertarians, and you're all over the map, and then there's all these sort of side effects because, well, in some cases the Republicans and Democrats vote for us, in some cases they're voting for this other stuff that people who are left or right tend to hate. I mean, it's just kind of, it really, gets really messy. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's no easy solution, but the one thing is, even, I mean, yeah, there, there, there are companies that like Halliburton and, uh, I don't know, Goldman Sachs and, um, I don't know, Monsanto and stuff that, that a lot of people would think are almost evil in the kinds of legislation that they push through that really benefit them and are to the detriment of uh, the country in general. But there are also, you could probably find a lot of examples of institutions that are donating money and and are, are supporting politicians, but for causes that would be good. Like you might say, like the Sierra Club, right? That are trying to, you know, protect parks and the environment and trying to fight against pollution, right? I don't know if Sierra Club, if the Sierra Club, I know they have a, they they have a lot of political influence. I mean, not as some, not as much as some other groups, but they're significant. Well, there's um, also there's also a lot of people donating money to movements which are pretty subjective, whether they're you know correct or not, like. Some you know, some people think, yep, that's a good movement. Other people don't. For example, pro-life. I mean, I'm not saying one way or another, but I'm just saying that that that's a that's another something else in the mix. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's not just about like, is is I mean, first of all, donating to politicians. I mean, it's not illegal, and in some cases, it wouldn't even be unethical. I mean, with the Sierra Club or some kind of uh, the American Cancer Society donating right. money to promote cancer research be evil because they're donating to politicians that tend to or supporting politicians that are that are attempting to drive more funding towards cancer research. I mean, yeah, it's 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 not it's not all the black and white. And I think what would really work well is creating some kind of very well funded um, non for profit entity that could advocate for these things, kind of like the ACLU or EFF, and kind of like the idea that we talked about. Yeah, for the, what was the idea? It was about the anti-troll. Yeah, we called it the, I can't remember, one of our listeners came up with the perfect name. It was called the Innovation Freedom Foundation, or IF. Right, right, yeah. And uh, so, and that's still a blog post waiting to happen. But something along those lines where it it could be funded to such a degree that it could it could make a lot of this stuff happen. It's not just Google or Amazon or you know or that are that are trying to you know fund these things that 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 they're representative of this whole technology um, you know micro universe we inhabit. And I I, th- I think if you did something like that and they ha- and you took like a three pronged approach, um, just like the ACLU and EFF, which is that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that the resources would be divided into thirds, but at least you'd have three primary um, directives. One would be um, advocacy, so you'd be writing a lot of um, you'd be writing a lot of, of articles that would show up in the New York Times and things like that, advocating for the causes that are important. Ooh. Right? This, well, hold, let me just finish. The, this, this is the three parts. So that would be one part: advocacy, which you'll see ACLU and um, EFF will do. Um, the second would be um, Actually, uh, promote uh, f- uh, you know supporting politicians that are supporting your cause, right? Um, so actually donating to politicians, fundraising for politicians, um, you know that kind of stuff. And and that's again that gets real messy because you could, you could be funding for people that in some cases are are good, in some cases are bad. But whatever, I mean you have to they have to use that money in in some kind of 
at least mostly positive political um, way. And the third would be um, a le- uh, for, for legal support. So companies that come under attack of patent trolls or might come under track, uh, come SOPA um, thing that they would actually take up the case themselves and actually fight on your behalf because it would set a precedent for, um, for uh, in, in general. What I'm thinking is, why don't we step up our game in 2012, really try and knock the ball out of the park with any foo, and get ourselves into a financial position where even we can be a little bit involved in sponsoring some of those projects and maybe, you know, starting some, some of that stuff. It's, it's funny you say that because I actually got an email from um, a guy named... Um, you know, I'm not going to use his name because I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't right. ask his permission. Um, I'll just say his first name, Craig, who is involved. He's sort of in the nexus of politics and technology. And he, he uh, I think, in general, was sympathetic to what I wrote in the, in the post and uh, was, sent me a very long email about how he thought you could effectively make an impact. Right. Um, on, po- on politics in regards to SOPA and other issues. And it was interesting. He was like, so you know, now that I've told you this stuff, you know, what, what would you be willing to do? I'm just like, dude, <laughs> I have like three kids, two startup projects, a full-time consulting gig, a podcast. You know, I like, I would love to get involved in spearhead efforts that were really making a change for the positive, but I can't right now. I mean, I don't, I don't have the bandwidth. No, no, you can't right now. That's why I'm saying if we, if we knock the ball out of the park, if we really work hard on any food for the next coming year and basically try and do an Uber. <laughs> try and do an Uber, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we try and do an Uber, then it may give us, you know, give us a little bit of leverage. I mean, that, I would just love that. I would love that. Especially well, considering we've been, you know, we've been talking about it for the last two years of, of kind of upping our game. And it would just be really great to, to see that through. That's one of the great, great, benefits of becoming financially successful. I mean, a lot of people think you become financially successful and then you can just kind of relax in luxury. You know, you're just going to sit back and, and just, uh, I don't know, party all the time. And I, I don't know what you do, you know, if you're on like permanent vacation. But for, <laughs> for me, I, I think it, what it would represent, we'd want to be able to work on projects that I care about. Some of them would be, say, um, other startup ideas or technologies that I like. Um, some would be just, if, it depends on how successful I was. I mean, if I was incredibly successful, I'd probably try and follow a path similar to like uh, Elon Musk, right? Which is going after these incredibly difficult but interesting um, projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but the third would be, you know, doing, trying to make the world a better place and, and, and not just um, donating money randomly to causes. And it, not that there's anything wrong with that, but really picking out a few things that you think, look, I can make a, a, a difference in this if I push hard. Mm. That would be that would be that would be one of the reasons, and that would be a primary reason why I would like, you know, to become financially successful is that to be able to do something like that. I mean, not just to sit back and like you know complain about you know problems to like a handful of friends or occasionally write a blog post about it, but to actually actually make an impact, do something. So yeah, I mean, often it's not it's, it's as well as the money, it's the hustle that makes the difference, right? So it's the real passion. Yeah, you gotta you gotta do stuff fine. I mean, it's kind of a combination between, you know, writing writing a blog post that, you know, ten or twenty or fifty thousand people read is that's making a little bit of a difference. You know, that can start getting that can start that adds to the dialogue, which can help. Um, but you gotta push further than that, and I, I think you gotta you actually gotta do things. And 
Um, I mean, depending, I, I mean, I don't, we don't want to go to this topic, go on too much longer, but yeah, yep. you'd actually got to do stuff, start, start organizations and start raising money and start raising awareness in other ways and start, I don't know, if, I, I, I hate to say it, but you'd probably have to put money into politics one way or another. I, I don't see any way around it. All right. Well, let's, let's switch the subject. So, um, I'll bring in a link that I, I put up, which was, um, functioning synapse created using carbon nanotubes. So basically, uh, scientists have created uh, the essence of a synapse using carbon nanotubes. But what what I thought was interesting in this, uh, obviously this plays into the whole singularity thing, but what I thought was interesting in this was in the article, this, the lead scientist said, um, the interdisciplinary approach is the only approach that will lead to a solution like this. So basically, they had people from many different um, disciplines. Like, it, it wasn't just the nanotechnology people, it was also physicists and other disciplines um and and that is interesting i mean is there is is that a typical thing to happen you have inter interdisciplinary collaboration yeah um, to yeah to, to, yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean i think you 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 kind of have that to some degree anyway um just because problems that require input from multiple areas but yeah, and I, th I think you do have. I mean, you think. Um, let's go to like something really big, like the Manhattan Project. I mean, that right. was multidisciplinary, right? You have mathematicians and physicists and all kinds of different engineers working together to solve this incredibly complicated problem. Now, you can argue about, you know, whether the outcome was ultimately positive or negative or whatever, but it was. Or, or putting or putting um, uh, men on the moon, right? Yeah. I mean, NASA's big push into space and all. That, I mean, that required all kind of scientific experts. What am I? favorite examples of it is the uh, Santa Fe Institute. Have you heard of that? No. So the Santa Fe Institute was started, I think, I, I want to say it was sometime in the uh, 90s, early 90s, because I read a book about it called Complexity, which was a fantastic read if, if, any, uh, if any of our listeners are interested in this, in this topic of complexity theory. But um, the Santa Fe Institute brought together all these different experts. It was sort of became. It was kind of like a research institute. Like you know, how like at Princeton, they have the advanced the Institute for Advanced um, Studies, um, where Einstein and von Neumann was there for a while, and Wolfram was there, and I don't know, John Nash might have even been there for a while. But a lot of different, you know, world renowned scientists um, uh, had a had a position there, and they didn't have any teaching responsibilities. They could just research. Mm. And the Santa Fe Institute was started, and they brought in people who they had economists. Um, neuroscientists, physicists, mathematician, computer computer scientists, you name it, all working on things that were related to this concept of complexity, which is sort of um, uh, what was the word I, I want to looking for? Uh, it would be um, kind of the spontaneous um, emergence, we get spontaneous uh, evolution of complexity. So you can see that in economies. You can see it in, in how the brain works. You can see it in evolution. You can see it in um, um, in, in aspects of our, you know, things like artificial intelligence. I mean, all, all this kind of stuff. So, um, but to understand the problem, to really to get different insights into it, you, you need to bring in people from um, all these different uh, fields to share their perspectives on it and, and make a lot of progress. And um, like Doyne Farmer and Norman Packard, I think, are out there. We've, we've talked about them. I'll tell you something. That was a good, that, that's a great answer because I wasn't expecting you to have an answer as, as in-depth as that. And I really like it. I'm just looking at Santa Fe Institute on Wikipedia right now. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, well, that was one of their uh, – their, their 
focus points, which was that focal points, which is that you need it was about interdisciplinary collaboration. It wasn't just like, well, we'll put the physicists in this room, we'll put the economists in this room, we'll put the chemists in this room, you know, whatever, and, and they can do their thing. It's like, no, these people all need to be working ideas, they need to be talking to each other, they need to be sharing ideas. That's, it's like the old thing of um, you, get, you get four people wearing blindfolds and um, you give each, each one of them, so basically you have an elephant there and you give each one of them to feel apart and they've got to kind of tell you what this thing is. So one's feeling the leg and they're like, oh, that's a tree. <laughs> one's feeling the trunk, they're like, oh, that's a snake. But, but kind of if they're all working together, they work out that it's an elephant. Yeah, and, and, and they all have different perspectives on it, and that's important because, you know, if, if you're only looking at it through the lens of, say, economics, and you're looking at the evolution of, a, of an economy from something very simple to something vastly complex, you know, you have a certain type of um, mathematics that you use, you have a certain type of vocabulary that can be very helpful, but in some ways it could end up being limiting in the same way for, like, the, the guys working on quantum mechanics. They might have all this stuff that they're doing and thinking about, but there's something blocking their progress. But it may be just the right discussion with some chemist or economist who says, hey, you know, what you're saying kind of reminds me of X, and this is kind of how we tackle it. And the physicist goes, whoa, okay, I got another idea, you know, and then it just kind of plays off each other. I'm I'm glad you brought up uh, quantum mechanics. Um, I was given a book for Christmas. Um, This is one of the few presents that I've already opened before (laughs) pre-Christmas. Uh, because, oh, did, you, did you sneak into the tree and open it? With yeah. <laughs> no, it's because it's because um, we we're with with friends in Ireland, and we weren't actually going to be spending Christmas with them, so we agreed to to swap presents before uh, Christmas Day. Okay. So they bought me this book uh, called War of the Worldviews, uh, which is science versus spirituality. Now I haven't read it yet, but it looks very interesting. So it's basically an entire book that's a debate between Deepak Chopra and Leonard Mlodinov. Mlodinow. <laughs> and uh, both of them are, are very eminent in their own fields. So basically it's science versus spirituality. So I'm really looking forward to, to reading this, this debate. And, and I think a lot of it is um, hinged around quant, you know, quantum theory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of, um, you know, you, you'll periodically see books on spirituality and philosophy and they'll, and they'll attempt to riff on some of these ideas that were sort of rooted in, and the uh, and quantum mechanics. So I know that's right up your alley too. You like you like that kind of stuff. So well, the, like- the, 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 I mean, I guess the core the core argument is um, that Deepak Chopra is saying like there's there's an invisible force, and that that force is the spiritual force, as it were. Who's the force? To- <laughs> right. And then the scientific perspective is well, I am your father. <laughs> the scientific perspective is well, we we don't really care about that. We're just you know. We just test, <laughs> test and observe. And right, but, but, right. but but the thing is, is that with with quantum, you know, theory and the LHC collider, we just see that as matter gets smaller and smaller, it ends up just looking like there isn't actually anything there. Hmm. You know? Okay. I don't know if I have. I don't know what, if I have a whole lot to say about that. Okay. I wish I had more to say. So there's nothing there. Well, you know, because it's it's what well, once once you get down to kind of a quantum level, it's like what is it you know is is it a waveform is it a particle does it exist if you're observing it or if you're not observing it all those type of things which is basically super string are they strings vibrating or whatever right which gets really funky at some point you you know it i I think we talked about this a long time ago which was the idea that you remember that idea spooky action at at a distance uh, also known as quantum entanglement yeah 
right? So like, uh, and and I always thought like I was I sort of pose this theory. I think you write like a science fiction uh, short story on this or something, where it's like, so if I I change this particle in here and then like a billion trillion miles away or whatever, another particle is affected instantaneously, right? It's not limited by the speed of light. That's mm-hmm. quantum entanglement. Yeah. So if that's the case, the only reason that would make sense is that if our entire if our entire universe was just a simulation and it was almost like the simulation, the two, there's two parts in the memory space. There were like two pixels or something that were just affected. Like you just lit a little memory corruption error. Like you just went, you wrote over the next uh, address space. Um, you know, in the virtual world, it would be a trillion miles an hour, but in your, in your, uh, in your uh, memory space, it was just an extra you know, address space over. Now that's a qubit, isn't it? In, in a quantum computer. That's the way that it works through quantum entanglement, is it? You know, I don't know enough about, uh, about that to, to say. I, I've, I, I know, I've heard the term qubit. <laughs> I think right. they, they use those, and I've heard that term, I think, when they talk about like, these quantum computers. But you know, it's kind of thing you read an article, and then and they'll, they'll mention all stuff, and you kind of vaguely think you know what you're talking about, and then a month later, you're like, I still have no idea what. Okay, well, at least, at least I get my Christmas present of stumping Jason. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Nice. My, my Christmas is complete. Right. Well, good. Merry Christmas. <laughs> no. So you're um you're Jewish, right? Because your mom was Jewish, but your dad wasn't. But you right. still celebrate um Christmas as well as yes. Hanukkah. Yes. But- I don't. I don't really observe too much of the Jewish side of things. <laughs> you just observe anything that has alcohol and uh, anything <laughs> that brings me gifts. Eggnog. Yes. Justin <laughs> says yes. Stig. <laughs> well, do you do you tell me something? What what's Christmas like in the in the Roberts household? I mean, do you? I mean, because you don't drink, right? So, do you have eggnog? Do you have like alcohol free eggnog? I mean, how do you? Uh, do you have a big wa- Christmas meal? Do you do you do turkey? What do you do? Okay. Well, it just it sort of depends. Um, if we're so every once in a while we'll go to Sandy's parents for Christmas, or or what we'll do is we'll have our Christmas and then we'll like. In the afternoon, after we've opened up our presents and had time to have sort of a family time, and you know, because once it's like lunchtime, everybody's kind of blown out because you've been up since six o'clock. Because kids wake up at you know the first first uh, sign of light. Yeah. So then we would drive to Vegas and and spend some time there. And yeah, and there we would have turkey, and they would make egg log. Even the Sandy's parents don't drink either. So it'd be and does, San- does Sandy drink? Sandy will drink. I mean, she'll she'll. Uh, you know, at social events and stuff. So she'll but, have a glass of wine where, where you went. Yeah, but it's not like we have, you know, we don't have alcohol here unless she's using it for cooking. She'll use wine for, for cooking or something, but, or unless we have people over or something. But, you know, if we go to like some junior league event and she'll have a glass of wine or something, but that's, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> or occasionally, you know, she'll, okay, there's occasion we'll go out. You know, if we go out and have a nice dinner, she might order a glass of wine or a, a beer or something if that's sort of the, the thing. But, you know, I don't. Okay, so if you're if you're just well, like, is there ever a scenario where you just stay at home and have your Christmas? Just, yeah, yeah, just with and, you, so, and so like, and the kids? So, yeah, and so like um, this year because the way everything's arranged, so we'll have our Christmas here, and then w- the kids are going to this like winter soccer camp, um, which is like, yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing that like kids have two to three weeks off, and it's like, what do you do with them all day long? And right. having them, there's only so much you can do. And we don't live in a neighborhood where you can just like kick the kids out and say, don't come back till dinner. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they're just bouncing off the walls. And uh, there's a really good soccer camp that's put on. And it's just the morning's like not, you know, three, three hours a day. But it, um, that's going to run this week. Is so that next- on Christmas Day, though? No, no, it'll be, it'll start Monday. 
Christmas is Sunday. I'll start Monday. I'll go Monday to Friday. And then what we'll, day, we'll do is we'll take off probably Friday afternoon or Saturday morning and then sort of have like kind of a second Christmas, Christmas with Sandy's parents for like right after, right around New Year's for a few days. Okay, but so you and Sandy won't do the whole big Christmas uh, turkey thing on Christmas Day. You'll just have oh, no, like we a- will. We will. We'll do Sandy. Sandy's a really good cook, and she loves to cook. So she's right. she'll do the turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy and the, you know stuffing and all that kind of stuff. And we have a um, we have a like sort of she's more than a babysitter, less than a nanny, right? It's almost like a part of the family. And so she's going to come over and spend the afternoon with us and have um, have sort of a have a turkey dinner and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, she her kids are in high school and college, and so, and and then she's also divorced. So her kids kind of off doing their thing, and we're like, well, you should just come and spend it with us. All right. Well, um, that's. Uh, uh, do you mind if I switch topic? The switch. <laughs> I don't know. I said that one. Oh. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so remember, we used to speak about micro opportunity. Um, yeah. I guess like a year ago, that was our big buzzword, micro opportunity. So someone came up with a great micro opportunity and, uh, you probably saw this one. I created the inverse of angry birds. I saw, I didn't click on that link, but I saw it. Yeah. You, you don't need to read the link or whatever, but it's, it's just a great idea. I mean, basically they just capitalized on the concept of angry birds and they just created a game that was the pigs getting their own back on the birds, you know, and it was <laughs> like a multi-level game and, you know, it's doing pretty well. It's it's quite a clever idea, really, just it, to great to snag on that micro opportunity. I guess it's riding the bull, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you if if you wanted to do that, like just to um, take advantage of micro opportunities. I mean, I see them all the time, and I'm not even actually trying to think of anything. It's just like if you just look what's in the zeitgeist, what people are talking about, just like flip it, invert it, switch it around. You know, yeah. you could, if, if you if you if you made a habit out of that, you said, all right, I'm just gonna you know, fall along Hacker News or whatever your information source is. I mean, Hacker News, we talk about that all the time, but that's just one, that's just their, the best source of like a variety of sort of tech-related stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, you could just sort of find it as a fee and just go link by link and say, okay, well, let's see what's going on here. You know, do I have a, you know, play on this? Yeah. And you could, but that's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's really a good one. Did, right. did he make, is the guy making money or was it just like, hey, here's my weekend project? Oh, uh, no, he, he must be making money at this stage. I mean, he's, he's selling an app on. on yeah, like yeah. A, he, he has the app and the app's there. So he must be making money. I'm just, I'll just have a look in um, at, uh, the app store and see how many reviews he's got. So okay. um, I didn't know if it was just because, you know, a lot of times you, you, you see these things like these show hacker news and like, hey, check out my weekend project. And it's like the kind of thing that like people will vote up and say, hey, that's really cool, but then sort of the last year of it, right? It was That's all it was. It was just somebody messing around with something. It really wasn't something... No, no, were- he had a real product. He had a real product. Okay. Um, and following on from the, the, the making money online thing, we spoke a little bit about Louis C.K. Um, last week, and right. he's, he reposted saying that he got a million revenue in 12 days. And he was going to give it a lot of it away, right? Yeah, he was only going to keep a quarter of it himself. But I'm sure that's going to turn into two million. So he's going to have an extra million that he's going <laughs> to—he's be wondering what to do with. It was probably a smart thing for him to do. I mean, well, first of all, he he gave quarter million roughly to his all the people who helped make the uh, who were involved in the production. So, so gave, they got a payday, yeah, which is really nice. He gave well, a quarter went to paying for all the costs. And that quarter of it went to various uh, charitable um, uh, foundations that he supports, like you know that he had asked people to also support, which is really great. And then he took a quarter for himself, and which he said he was going to um, spend on all kind of terrible things. It was none of anybody else's business, <laughs> right? <laughs> that was great. But yeah, so but by saying that, 
I think it makes people even more willing to buy it, right? If people says, ha, 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 I made all this money, my life is sweet, you're like, you know, <laughs> hey, like, fine, right? But it's like less, knowing that the guy's been kind of generous with it, I think it, it just gives people the feeling like, you know, spending five bucks for this is probably, is going to make you feel good because he's giving it to other people that probably deserve something, you yeah. know? So, I don't know. Yeah, but there's going to be a point where he needs to start keeping it. Oh, he will. I mean, I'm sure he'll, <laughs> but, which is fine. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't begrudge him that. It's not like I expect every company or every money-making effort for him to like only keep like a third or a quarter of it, but it was, um, it was nice to, uh, it was nice to see that he, he was, he was being so generous with it. I, I just think, and not that I, you know, I'm just saying, I think that ultimately we'll have a pot, it'll come back to him several fold in, a, in different ways, you know? So should we do an update about any food? Do we, have a, do we even have an update? There's not a whole lot. I mean, it's been so with the holidays and you being overseas and, um, you know, with the uh, with my mother um, having passed away and, and me being out of town for that. There's things ha- not a ton has happened, um, although I'll say this. Um, the um, set up a I set up the Stripe account and I and I, I took the first step in setting up the Webmaster Checks yeah. account. So for. For listeners who are less familiar with what we're talking about, so AnyFu's payments system. So we had to have two pieces. We wanted to make it so that um, we could accept credit card payments and uh, didn't require people to have PayPal accounts or something like that because corporations aren't going to want to pay through some kind of PayPal account or something. And we wanted to make it easy and inexpensive for our experts to get their money out. And um, you found Webmaster Checks um, uh, you did some research and, and found them, and, and so we decided that was like a really good solution because it would allow allow experts to get their money either via PayPal, uh, a check, or do an ACH bank transfer if they wanted to um, take a few minutes to set that up, right? Yeah, and I'll just say quickly the the reason why uh, like people will know that you can actually use PayPal and get money um, directly, but the the thing you know without people going to the PayPal site, but the thing is we wanted to set up a system where people can automatically do transactions and some of those transactions will be a thousand plus you know two thousand three thousand whatever and paypal's um they just don't have the capability of doing that right yeah so um so it looks like um webmaster checks is going to work out really well i talked to um chrissy i think was the uh she's our account rep yeah 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 so talking to chrissy and she said that um that uh, they have actually Webmaster Checks uses Wells Fargo as too as uses Wells Fargo as well. That's their where their bank account is. So when we want to move money from Stripe into our account, it'll be really fast. I think efficient moving money or giving them access to our account or however that we want to work that out. Well, that's really that's, good because um, that changes the the lag time between when our experts will get paid massively. Because if our main account are it's not our merchant account, but our bank account is in Wells Fargo. Moving the money from Wells Fargo to Webmaster Checks is going to be real fast, and we're not going to have to that three three business day wait before the um, where our experts get paid. You know. Yeah, you know, and um, she sent me a, a, some of the pricing, um, and it looks I have to go over it with her because I'm not, I'm not sure I completely understand um, the the document she sent me, but I think there's a little bit of variety. It's all going to be pretty expensive. And pretty right. fast, whether it's PayPal checks or ACH, and the fact that we're Wells Fargo helps that. So I think it's going to be a really good solution. I think the idea of the combination of Stripe, 
and how our, our bank company, Wells Fargo, and user webmaster checks is going to be going to be a really good one. Um, but also, I'm still I'm still starting a conversation with the um, merchant account specialist at Wells Fargo. Yeah, with Claudia. Um, I sort of discovered that all of these customer support and customer management people are female, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. They're all really nice, super so friendly. So it's Cheryl's our, our our banker at Wells Fargo, and then we got Chrissy and Claudia at Webmaster <laughs> Checks, and then uh, I can't remember. Maybe we, it might be a guy at Stripe, but uh, I can't remember. Um, so, but while we set this up, what I want to do is make sure like. You know, once we get everything working and any foo is, is working and payments are going through, we can look back and okay, we really understand what the trade-offs are, what the strengths and weaknesses are of that solution. Yeah. And if in the meanwhile I'm starting this dialogue with with the Wells Fargo um, uh, merchant account stuff with Claudia, and I really understand, I can really compare prices, the, the you know what the options are versus prices, and so we could um, easily set up a merchant account and use something like Braintree. And that might give us additional level of, of flexibility and might reduce our costs. I mean, it might not. I don't know. But I, I, I want to make sure – I want to at least get the simple solution that we've talked about set up because we can get that set up right away. Yeah. But I also want to be researching and becoming very familiar with what this other option is to see what the trade-offs are. Cool. And, and what's your experience with – you said you've kind of done some basic Stripe integration – what, what what have you done there, and what's been your experience? Oh, I, I I haven't really done anything with Stripe. I just um, I look through the stuff. I just set up the account and everything, and okay. I've just done the same thing with Stripe. Now, I mean, with Webmaster Checks. Now, Webmaster Checks, that's sort of an involved application process. Um, I uh, Chrissy sent me like what like I swear to God, it was like twelve pages of documents. Wow. You know, like when you go to the that you're a, a new doctor and you sit in the doctor's office and say, like, just fill out these forms, and it's like five pages of like, have you had this disease or yeah. that? Yeah. And tell us every operation you've had since you were one and where have you lived? And oh my God, you know, you're just like sitting there for like 45 minutes filling stuff out. It's like that times 10. I was like, oh my God. So I'm, um, I'm going to actually have that printed out. I'm going to try and fill that out over the next day or two because she's striped by comparison. How much was the fill out for that? Ah, nothing, nothing. It was like, it was just like a web form, you know, it was like maybe 10 fields. And a lot of it was like address and phone number That's and hilarious. You know, what's your domain? Um, I, I don't know why the um, Webmaster Checks is so much more in-depth. But um, anyway, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that, and then I'll have to – but a lot of the questions – a lot of times you get these forms, you're like, I don't really know yeah. how to fill this stuff out. So i got to get on the line with her and get some of that. Um, did of. you get a chance to look through the legal stuff? I haven't. I, I apologize for that. No, I that's, just, that's no problem. I figure that when you get back, we can maybe spend a little more time talking about that. Um, I just figure that's – I figure the legal stuff – is sort of the last piece to the puzzle. Okay. I'm not, I'm not super, um, I'm not wor- that worried about it. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you um, actually get a first good pass at it and we can kind of go over it in detail maybe when you get back. Okay, so I have meant to be um, searching for experts to find our first tier of experts. And uh, I have been letting the team down because I haven't been able to You found to a few it. experts in ale at the Irish pub? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're, any food is going to be we're going to be the expert beer tasting company <laughs> right. yeah well look i mean look i i know you're you're in ireland you're kind of on workation you don't things aren't moving right. i mean it's no point forcing it i mean you know try and get as much done as you can but i'll, t- I'll tell you what i was so really like what, what i've been working on the whole time that i've been here um for company 52 one of their clients Basically, there's a there's a company called Paramount, and um, 
it's an email it's like it's like mailchimp right yeah but like a let's say a more blue chip version like a very kind of high-end microsofty blue chippy version okay so and then sugar they, they want to use sugar crm as mm-hmm. a as a as a like a, a, a customer relationship management tool Okay. So I, I, I don't actually know why they don't want to use Salesforce, but anyway, they want to use SugarCRM. So what I've been working on is basically building a full integration system between Paramount, like when someone signs up and types in their name and email, et cetera, et cetera, that it, it migrates all that stuff to SugarCRM. Right. And it has been so, like, you, you know, that's, that's just really simple to say, isn't it? You know, sure. Oh, a synchronization system between Paramount email system and SugarCRM. Easy. But, <laughs> Not wow, so easy. Wow. So complicated. I mean, you know, just, just so many steps, like every little step unravels another can of worms and just, you know, getting the, getting the data and the scripts that need to be run and um, bu- the whole infrastructural chart and building a sugar CRM module to display because they want to be able to go into sugar CRM and display the information that's in Paramount. Right. Right. So then I've had to build a sugar CRM module and building sugar CRM modules is just, you know, it's, it's not easy. Let's just put it that way. It's not something that you can do in your sleep. <laughs> right. I mean, right. it's, let's just say it's, it's probably harder than, than building it. Actually building it's kind of easy. It's, it's the documentations that's the issue, right? You've got to wade through thousands of pages of documentation that just don't make it very clear what's going on. Right. Um, I, I actually found it easier to build, um, Firefox extensions than to build a sugar CRM module. Yeah, well, I would think that the Firefox documentation would be a little more in-depth, probably examples. Probably more people have done it, so you probably have tutorials and stuff online that you can reference, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so, so uh, I guess the reason why I started this whole diatribe is that um, just on the 22nd, I just got it to that place where, yes, you know, it was working. I had something to show. We could show the client. It was just like, yes. It's working. It's exactly what they want. <laughs> That's yeah, <a> good feeling. <laughs> That's good. No, you're on a um. You you're 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 kind of like like the way I said something with Uber. You did the same thing with Company Two Fifty Two, which is sort of you get a standard monthly consulting rate, right? Y- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that kind of takes some stress out for yeah, you, right? It's, really so like, it's like you have to get to a stopping point before you can send out an invoice. No, no. No, they, they, it, it's, it's. I guess it's like it's sort of like a rolling invoice. I'm actually concerned about that um, because you know if, if it's a rolling invoice, then are you considered to be working for the company or are you considered to be a consultant? Because no, in the, no, in, the, in, the no. in the UK, there's issues with that. There's this whole there's a whole tax thing called uh, sorry tax thing called IR35, right? And basically, you're kind of considered to be an actual employee of the company, and therefore the company has. Uh, PAYE response, you know, tax responsibilities for you if right. you get regular paychecks. So that was kind of one thing. I was yeah, and I, there are certain, I think there's certain regulations. So if like you're working on premises and it's sort of like a full time thing, it, you know, the, the company can get in hot water if they're trying right. to treat you like a, a, a like a contractor and not as employee. When in fact, you know, you look like an employee, you smell like an employee, you are an employee. Right, <laughs> kind of right. Um, but if you're working off site. And you're uh, and you're and especially you're not even working full time that kind of stuff. It's it's I don't think there's a whole lot of um, uh, concern there. Um, but how how does that work with virtual companies? I mean, in a virtual company, everyone's an employee. They look like an employee. They smell like an employee. But they're contractors. I don't know. I'm not an expert on on employee uh, 
contract <laughs> kind of stuff, so I don't really know. But um, I, I, I haven't really heard of that being concerned for anyone I've, I've known who's worked off-site yeah. for clients. I've never heard of says, oh, I can't do X, Y, and Z because then, then I'm going to run into these employment things. And, and then again, it, it really it really becomes an issue for the company, not for you. I mean, usually the company has to start out because the company might get in trouble because companies, when, when it comes to social security and stuff, they have to pay like their half of that. And I think it's like an employment tax and what all these little nickel and dime things that happen on your taxes. Whereas if you're a contractor, you really, you have to cover all that yourself. So you can see why, as you can see why companies would rather you be contractors, but then almost be like a full-time employee because they can, they can really, terminate you at any point without ever yeah. having of, of wrongful termination and, and they don't have to pay as much and they don't they would never run a responsibility of like um, health care costs even though that only really takes that becomes a concern when companies are much larger I guess with Uber you probably feel like you're working with a virtual company because you you're in the same way as me I mean there's not much difference between you working with Uber and me working with company 52 like it's basically no. it's all Skype calls it's all the exact um, same thing. Virtual. The, the only difference is that I agreed to to shoot up there for a few days once every three weeks. That's sort of the the the, the general um, agreement, um, which is you know fine by me. You know, I mean they pay for the <laughs> they pay for the travel and accommodations, and it's fun to go up there for a few days and work with them. So I'm so, more than happy to do that. So you're a cog in the machine, but you're kind of spinning at a slightly different speed to the rest of the cogs in their machine. Does that cause any issue? <laughs> yeah, you know. That's kind of interesting. Um, I'm definitely still kind of a lone wolf. Um, I'm kind of working, I'm kind of sandboxed off in a way and working on my stuff. I, it's not like, um, and I only interact with really like one or two people there. It's not like, you know, oh, there's like seven different people I'm exchanging emails with and I'm talking to the product manager about various bugs. It's just, I talked to Curtis, who's the, um, you know, the VP of engineering, whatever he basically runs engineering. And then, uh, so he and I worked together and stuff like he was here in my, you know, working in my home, home office with me for a little while the other day. And then, um, Amos, who's one of the developers, we were kind of pair coding on some stuff. So that's it. And I'm hoping I can continue to do that. I don't like, uh, having to have too many endpoints. It's kind of like, you know, when you write code, you want like really small interfaces between subsystems and objects, right? You know, you don't want like tons of, of interdependencies because it just gets really complicated and you can have all kind of, I don't know, issues. So it's like if I have like only one or two people, overall, I'm generally responsible for the things that I work on and I can work kind of independently and add a lot of value, then things work well. And if you work with too many other people, a lot of times you can have these blocking scenarios. And I even see that even working with Uber. It's like, you know, once you, the more people you work with, the more opportunity is for you to end up blocking where you're just kind of like, you know, like in code and you're like waiting on another thread to complete. You're just yeah. sitting there, can't do any progress because you're waiting. And, and I was like, well, I don't know. I, I mean, there's only, I can't. And I found that happened to me a number of times where I'm like, okay, well, I can't work on this. Amos stayed up all night fixing some bugs. He's not going to wake up for another three hours. <laughs> you know, Curtis is putting out some kind of a fire or something else. Well, you know, that, actually, it, that's why it works so well um, with me doing the, the scheduling widget for Anyfoo, right? Because I'm mm-hmm. just completely abstracted from you. So, and that's yeah. and if you remember, that was something that I was really wanting. Is it's like I don't want us having being tightly integrated and in, in sort of writing code at a together at a micro level. 
Right. Because then there's been, then we're going to have so many conversations about this. It's all be meta work. You're going to come and say, hey, so I want to talk to you. And I'm going to rename these variables. I'm going to change these function names. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to have those conversations because we're going to have, it's going to end up being four to one conversation to actually writing code. Whereas if it's if it's mostly you write a subsystem and I write a system and then we and then and then we have a few conversations about like what the interfaces should look like what what parameters you're expecting and what callbacks I'm expecting or whatever and then it's going to be like you know five to one or ten to one code to uh, conversation. So Jason, we're coming into the last third of the last texting of 2011. Where would you like to take it? <laughs> um, okay, one thing I wanted to cover was. Um, a, uh, it was a nice post on uh, Startup Guild by Jeff Welpley. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know if you saw it. He, he did a little shout out uh, to me. He said that he had accepted the CTO position at a startup called, um, I think it's Mesh, Mesh One or something like that. Hmm. Um, and the, he, I, I was, I'm actually going to write a blog post about it, I think. But the gist of it was that, so I think he called me like, it must have been like two, three months ago. And he had kind of been playing with the idea of like trying to get a job at a startup, but he had been up to this time working for larger companies. Um, and he had for the last number of years worked, I think at Wells Fargo. And he was like, he wanted to call and ask me my opinion about that. Like what, you know, about the idea of working for a startup versus just, you know, working for a larger company. Cause I think they want to move from California back to Boston where he's from because they're raising a family and they want to be near their parents and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, what, why wouldn't you, they've offered you the CTO position and it's not like a two or three person company. It's like a, a larger, I think, I don't know if it's like 10 or 30 or 50 people or whatever it is. I, I get the impression it's a decent sized company. Um, let's, you know, let's imagine it's so like 30 or 50 people, right? It's real. Mm-hmm. It's substantial. It's not like it's, you're working with your buddy in his basement. Okay. So he's like, you know, yeah, but it's kind of risky, you know, because I could take a job. And I'm like, well, listen, you can always take a job at a big company, right? If you're working at a company like that and you, and you have worked at big companies and you want to go back to working for a big company, it, that's a no-brainer, right? They're going to want to hire you. Why wouldn't they want to hire you, right? But startups aren't always interested in hiring big company people because big company people tend the, – the, the sort of the stereotype is that they're going to be people who need a lot of support, narrowly defined um, responsibilities. Uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of sort of process and BS. Whereas, you know, in, in the startup world, you know, every, it's kind of like every man from the self, like identify problems and solve them. Don't complain about them. Don't like require, but have a big meeting about just fix stuff and make stuff happen. Be proactive, be resourceful, hustle, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, that's right. Cause when he had interviewed a few other companies, the, they weren't all that excited about him having not worked at a startup, having worked for these, you know, bigger companies. And it kind of reminded me of the, it's some advice a friend of mine gave to, he, he told me that he had been given, he's an actor. I feel like Phil, who we've had on the show, Phil Amon. Yeah. He said that, you know, he, he's, he, he had, you know, done a lot of acting and, and everything. And I, I, I can't remember if someone gave him this advice or he was just advice that someone famous had, had given, which is that, you know, you want to be, if you want to be a leading man in a major motion picture, you need to be a leading man in smaller uh, films. Because if you're always just playing the bit parts, the character parts in the larger films, you're never going to be seen as someone who can carry a film as a, as a, 
Yeah, as exactly. A, no one will ever know if you can be a leading man. Right. You're just you're just the guy who shows up and has does a funny voice and gets shot and that's it or whatever, right? You're just a quirky person. You're not a lead. But if you're the lead in a small budget film, people think, oh, you know, he carried the film, a lot of charisma, he did this and that. We can, you know, maybe we can use some of this larger film. And I think that's the case. I mean, it's like, you know, once you're at a CTO position and you've had this management role and you've made decisions and you haven't just been sort of like a project lead or some senior developer then you are a CTO, right? I mean, maybe you couldn't get a CTO position at a giant firm, but you're kind of playing that leading man role. Mm -hmm. And you could always easily step back and go and be like, you know, some senior lead team lead at, you know, another bank or something. But it's hard to get that. And he kept talking about risk. Like, well, it's risky. I'm like, what risk are you even talking about? You know, it's like, what? (laughs) I, I don't even understand. I mean, it's it's not like the 50s where people work at a job their whole life. You can always get another job. So and, what was the shout out? Well, he said he thanked me because he took the job. He took the position. Nice. I mean, I really sold him hard. I said, I think your I think your friends are telling you it's risky or crazy. I don't think you they know, know that. Is, that's a, that's interesting because that is dangerous. I mean, you're you're messing around with people's lives right there, <laughs> Jason. I mean, yeah. seriously, like you could affect an entire family here. Yeah, but I I'm I'm convinced I'm right, so I'm not worried about it. I mean, <laughs> I'm really. I mean, I think I'm like you know, he's. Because I know the worst he's going to happen is not. I mean, there is is not very bad because there's a there's a there's an unmet demand for high quality technology people in this country, and so he's and if he's as long as he's not as long as he's at a major metropolitan area, he's going to have no problem finding opportunities. So um, there's there's really no risk. There's just perceived risk is really low. And I think, you know, the, his pay might be slightly lower than if he was at his, his upfront pay is not including, you know, stock options, all that kind of stuff, but just his like month to month, be, you know, probably a little bit discounted from what he'd make at a bigger company, but not that much. But then the payoff and stock options, all stuff could be much bigger. So I don't know. I, and I just think that I'm, I'm really happy he did it. I think he's going to have a lot more fun. He's, he sounded a lot more excited about it. He just sounded really nervous about it. But it was funny because I kind of flipped him because I think he was leaning against it. Really? I think he talked to him. Yeah. So you have about- literally changed his life. All right. I found, I found his post in, um, in uh, Startup sure. Guild. So Jeff uh, Welpley says, next week is my last one at Wells Fargo. I'm leaving at the end of the year to be CTO of Mesh01. I considered for a time a different. Uh, I considered for a time different levels of engineering positions at places like TripAdvisor or Google, but I think Jason Roberts got my head straight by saying something to the effect of, "Dude, you can work at a boring engineering gig anytime. How often are you going to get the chance to kick ass and create something of your own?" All right, Jason. I think that's nice. You you deserve kudos <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope he doesn't come back to me and I'll get this email like, "Thanks, you ruined my life." <laughs> hey, listen. This this actually reminds me of something. Didn't you give me a lot of shit about not putting any effort into Startup Guild and you said Startup Guild was going to die a horrible death and no one was ever going to use it? No, I just, what I did, I think what I said is I said, you know, I think it's starting to die and I think you should continue <laughs> to put some effort in it. Otherwise, you put all this effort in creating something that seems to have a lot of value and I'm, I'm worried that it's just, you know. Were you wrong? I don't know. I mean, what's the, what do you have the, what are the average number of messages per day now? I don't know what the average number of messages, but what I will say is, is that from the few times that I've gone, you know, I, mean, I'm, I don't really use it that much, but I do go in probably like maybe three times a week and I'll just go in and read the posts and there's always good stuff happening there. People are always helping each other out. So I do think that it was worth, I mean, I know I didn't put in huge amounts of effort, but it was worth starting. Yeah, I'm going to go on right now. I'm going to see, see what our uh, numbers are like. 
Let's see. I haven't logged. I actually haven't logged in in a while. I've been so bad about that. So, well, today's not bad. It's only six messages today, but it's New Year's. It's a weekend and it's uh, Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah, but, but the messages kind of hang around on it and then people come and answer it. So, and, and a lot of the messages are of high value and people asking questions and people give good answers. So it's not like uh, going down a freeway, you know, it's like going down a country lane, but <laughs> you do yeah, get yeah. great advice, you know? Well, there's 873 members. Then yeah. fourteen thousand five hundred fifty-three total messages. I think it's pretty good. I mean, I think I, you know, I go in there, but so I probably go in there again and and um and write something. Um, but I, de- I you know what I do is I get the email. I get the auto email like once a yeah. day or whatever of like here's your activity stream and and so th- I read a lot of the stuff there. But, so uh, were you wrong? I think it was partially wrong. I think it would. I think if you had put more energy in, it might be more active now. I yeah, think no, you're right. I, I, I'm not disputing that it could be bigger, but the main point I'm disputing is it was worth a little bit of effort. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's on life support, but it's 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 running in first gear at best, and I think it could be in could have been in third gear had you been really pushing on it and writing blog posts about it and whatever. But you know, that's, I don't know. That's I mean, still to come. You know, that could that. Back, you know that we can move it that way at some point in the future when we have more time. When phase two, more time. yeah, phase two. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's kind of like it's like <laughs> writing a blog post, right? It's like you do things that they may not necessarily have any direct positive impact on your career in any way. So, like the post I wrote on uh, on Sopa, I mean, what does that really do for me? Mm-hmm. Not much. I mean, I might pick it increases up, your luck surface area. It did. I got some nice emails from people. I think probably a few more. You know, the more you're out and you write in public like that, a few more people make connections like, oh, this is the guy who wrote this other thing. Or, you know, more people seem to know who you are, which, which helps, right? The more people who know who you are, the, you know, the more influence you have, the more you can get done. Um, you know, uh, but it also, the one thing about writing a post that, you know, gets a lot of traction and, and, and hits number you know, one or, or up there on Hacker News is that you're pretty much distracted the whole day. Oh, yeah, it ruins your day. Yeah, definitely. I mean, luckily, I well, actually, the problem was, is I was working with Amos all day on Uber. So I was like on a call. So I couldn't respond to comments. So I didn't have a chance to respond <laughs> to any comments on Hacker News or Google Plus. I got like, I don't know, like, oh, I don't know, like 50 or I don't know how many, 80 comments or whatever it was on Hacker News. I have to look and see what it was. But I actually um, think that's better because it, it kind of sets you up rather than being biased. It's like, it's putting a thing out there and then other people can talk about that thing rather than you keeping on weighing in. It actually looks a little bit better in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was thinking what I would do and it might not even matter at this point as I'd, I was going to write like an update or an addendum that kind of addressed some of the major concerns and um, push back in the comments. Um, because what happens is it's almost like when you write a blog post, it's almost kind of like, and, and, and it gets a lot of feedback. It's almost like, um, you know, you, it's like you release software and it's not quite right, right? You, yeah. you thought you had your ideas right and then there were some weaknesses in it or things that you didn't clarify or didn't spell out um, and, that, and that's what people are attacking. You're like, ah, you know, I should have gone into that more, yeah. right? But you don't think about that. I mean, you don't want to write a novel. You want to write something that's not too long um, and gets the points across, but you always miss a few things or you misstate something and then that's what people are, are, are attacking. And so you feel like, okay, well, almost like you iterate on your software, you want to go back and write like an update and say like at the bottom, say, okay, update, you know, da-da-da-da, here, here's, here's how, what I would say to the stuff. And I think the problem is that when you respond to all this comments and that, it just takes a huge amount of time and you end up repeating yourself over and over and over again, you know? 
Yeah. So I don't know, but I do. uh, but anyway, well, it, it is kind of a it, it is kind it's kind of a questionable use of time. You know, it's like yeah. I, I luckily, as it didn't distract me too much because I was working. Uh, I'm I was, sure Sandy's there going, Jason, come on. Oh, well, you know what she said. You know, hours. Well, she was fine. Um, well, I like I said, I was working with Uber anyway, but yeah. um, she was she was. I mean, she, she's kind of an idealist too. She's kind of in the middle. Oh, so right? she's against. She, so you had a little argument no, with her. She agreed with me, but she also was very had a lot of empathy for, like, say, Alex's position. Right, right. She was like, and I said, look, I have empathy for him too. If he wrote this post, I'd probably I might respond the same way he did to me, right? I mean, it's like I can see both sides. Um, but she's like, all right, she's like, your next post better be positive and uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> she gave me the big frown face, like she didn't. Right. She does not like controversy like that. She doesn't like. She doesn't like any kind of fighting or controversy. She just like, you know, that's why she likes a couple of other posts that were just purely sort of positive and, and sort of optimistic. And she's like, so just make sure your next post is. is but of nice. course, I mean, like controversy and picking a fight with people is one of the classic ways to actually get noticed. It's a, a key marketing technique. It is. But that really, I wasn't trying to do that. I was just trying to uh, state a point that I thought wasn't being stated. And I thought was kind of obvious. And I was sort of shocked that, like I said, our last, our last podcast, I'm just surprised that nobody's talking about this. I don't get it. But anyway, but it's enough on that. We, we yeah. So to go to, next, have you got something else for us? Oh, let's see. What do we got here? I'm looking for something. I'm going to have to stretch for something because uh, I was out with the kids at the park. And so, oh, I read this one thing. It was called Study Debunks Myths on Organic Farms. You ever see that oh, one? Oh, really? No, go. Yeah, I mean, the gist of it was that, the, I, I mean, I, I guess the conventional wisdom is that, um, I guess, I don't know what you call like the non-organic farms, the conventional farming where they use lots of pesticides and petroleum-based fertilizers and all that kind of stuff, yeah. that you get a higher yield, you get a lower cost per acre, um, all that kind of stuff. And that like, yeah, the, you know, the, the um, sort of organically grown food is great, no, but it's very expensive and you don't get the same kind of yield or whatever. But it turned out that like in every category, just about, it was better than uh, inventing, like you had higher yield per acre, you had a lower cost of input. It did require more human input, but the cost was still lower because the cost of the inputs to the farming, so it, it, like the fertilizers, pesticides were much lower. So basically, organic it's, farming is just as good as like or better. It's better. It's, it's, it's the, better. The, the, I think I think the reusability of the of the of the um, of the of the ground, I would call it the uh, the land, yeah. <laughs> using soil was yeah. better. It was better. Had better. I think it had better tolerance to like um, rain, like runoff kind of stuff, like erosion. It had a higher. It just was just better all around, and even the quality of the food was better. And I think even compared to genetically modified, what they call it, genetically wow. drought tolerant varieties, it was. Um, I still can't understand the sentence they said. Hey, tell me, if you, tell me how you read the sentence. They said. These drought yields are remarkable when compared to genetically modified drought-tolerant varieties, which showed increases of only 6.7% to 13.3% over conventional non-drought-resistant varieties. I'm not really sure which it's, one is that, which. That sounds, that sounds like the genetically modified is 6 to 13% better than the other guys. Like. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it gets like 13, whereas, oh, organic yields were 31% higher than conventional. Yeah. Years. 
forgot. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I, I guess I just made myself sound like an idiot. So yeah, I misread no, no. that. Line. No, you did. No, because it, it it's actually the the whole way the sentence carries on is kind of confusing, to be honest. Okay, so um, I think you're wrong. I think I just look like an idiot. But thanks for trying to bail. <laughs> oh, another Christmas <laughs> bonus! Yay! <laughs> you tried to bail me out, but everybody's shaking their head. No, Jason's an idiot. Is is uh, um, so yeah. That's that's awesome, actually. That was I mean, kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Well, because you know, you had this. Um, we've talked about this a little bit before. Is that this the, one of the big concerns about the whole um, peak oil issue, which is that the world is running out of of um, easy to reach, relatively inexpensive petroleum yeah. oil, right? And the problem is, it's not just a matter of like, well, it's going to be a really expensive drive. It's that so much of our economy, everything that's plastic, which is like. Forget everything in modern society is based on petroleum, yeah, and fertilizers and pharmaceuticals and all, are all based on like if you look at like the amount of it's I can't remember like per pound of food or whatever. If you look at the amount, how many gallons of you know of um, or barrels of oil go per, in per, to per acre or something, it's astronomical. Right? I I am sensing you are ed- edging this episode of texting the final Christmas one. To end on a very depressing note. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. No, I would keep it uplifting and positive. <laughs> All right. No, I'm just saying that if organic, if organically grown food is actually has higher yield, higher quality, more tolerant um, to drought and, 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 and rain and all these other kind of issues, then even if a petroleum becomes increasingly more expensive over the next 10, 20, 30 years, that it doesn't mean that there's going to be a huge amount of starvation. It just means that um, or using organic methods would actually be a better, a better situation anyway. But I guess one thing we're saying in that article about it was that there's so much money is being spent by the chemical companies, the pesticide companies, the companies like Monsanto, um, that there's a huge bias in general towards the, um, the chemical approach versus the, the natural approach. All right. Well, uh, I think we've covered that one. Okay. Moving on. So I saw <laughs> that one. Oh. I've got one for you, right? Uh, Do yeah. you have any predictions for the year 2012? I don't know. Ask me something. Give me um, some. What do you predict in technology? Do you think that, okay, with, I don't know, Google social networks, Yahoo, Hacker News, anything interesting in our space? What do you think the, the, the trends of the year are going to be? Oh, dude, that's like on this. Put me on the spot. <laughs> you got to <laughs> ask me something more specific than that. I I don't even know where to start. Um, All right. Well, I'll, I'll give you some. I'll, I'll I'll give you some um predictions that I have. Some some homegrown predictions that I would like to put out there. Right. Oh, okay. That, See, that, so you've had an opportunity to think about this. No, I no, no. I, I've I, like literally. Oh, I've only been thinking about it since I first thought about the question about thirty seconds ago. So the the mine wouldn't answer what I asked you, but at least it's some kind of predictions. So what I will say is. I predict that by the end of 2012, texting will have more than 10,000 listeners. What? <laughs> That's my first prediction. What? <laughs> we have what? We have, we have, we're, we still haven't even hit 1,500. Now, the reason why, the reason why is because I'm saying that the hard work that we put into Anyfoo and Plugio will bring those figures to a point where we can be taken a little bit more seriously and therefore people will be more interested in listening to us. More people will be. I see. So people coming outside will be 
thinking, oh, this is, these are the guys that created this company that I yes. think is successful. So I want to yes. hear what they have to say. That's, that's my prediction. So yes. And I, I do predict that by the end of, okay, this is, this is maybe a little bit too much, but I'm going to say it anyway. By the end of 2012, we will be earning $10,000 a piece. Through any food? Through any food. 20,000. Okay, does that include after expenses to, uh, so 20, you think we're making 20 grand a month yeah. after expenses like server costs and whatever we're yeah. paying? Yeah, paying. that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm putting out there. That's a hell of a lot. I like the goal. I like where you're going <laughs> with that, Vincent, but uh, that's impressive. Okay, all right. I like that. I think that's more achievable than the 10,000. All right. I find well, that's Throwing. awesome. You actually think it's more achievable for us to earn $20,000 a month than it is for us to get 10,000 texting listeners. Maybe because, oh, maybe it's just naive, naivete because, you know, I know how hard it is to build a podcast because, you know, we've been doing it for two and a half years, right? I know. I know. It's just every time we think we get a, get a big boost and we're going to the next level, it's just slow growth, right? So... I, now I'm sort of like jaded to think that there's going to be some kind of miracle function that's going to suddenly catapult our uh, our our numbers to the next level. Well, but you know, but I guess because Anyf wasn't launched, I can still dream. But but <laughs> you, you know, see, can... no, 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 because humans that fail like fail to understand the power of the exponential. Mm-hmm. Right? They overestimate the start and they underestimate it in the long term. Exactly. The term, uh, underestimate the long term. Exactly. Now. Favorite uh, favorite things to say. So, but what I will say is, in 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 the proof of us not achieving ten thousand, Plugio, which I've been working on for two years, still didn't earn three and a half thousand. <laughs> so God, it's like asymptotic. It's like never thirty five hundred. It's gonna get. It's gonna grow slower and slower. This last hundred fifty bucks. It's like thirty five hundred is the speed of light. It's just you can <laughs> it just get, you get, get asymptotic, closer, but you can never do it. Like the faster, the closer, the faster you move, the more your mass increases. But I think that's going to change with with the release of the new design. Um, do, you saw the new design, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was nice. Well, when, well when's the really new release? What's going on? Okay, so um, with Company Fifty Two, there's going to be well, as as it is seen at this moment, there's going to be a major push on Plugio during the month of January, and hopefully released by the end of Jan. And I, and I do think that it's gonna it'll make an impact. Did you you sent me a link actually that um, Buffer got three three hundred thousand um, seed four hundred thousand four hundred. Oh, was it? Okay. Pretty sure. So, but they, are they giving theirs away for free? They remember they weren't trying to charge for it? No, they charge. Right? Yeah, yeah, they charge. They're, they're like $9, nine uh, the lowest plan, moving up to $30, I think. Now, how are they doing, do you think, compared to you guys in terms of revenue? In terms oh, of, I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure they're doing way better than us. I, I remember seeing some figures banding around that they're, they're earning something like 30000 a month or something like that. So what do you think happened? I mean, because they had a much simpler app. That's what you just answered to your own question. Yeah, is that it? It was because they did one thing. Yeah, but through talking to um, Paul, uh, who we're going to get on the show. Oh, do you have his surname? I don't have his surname. But basically from Think Disruptive, if you Google Think Disruptive. We'll go with Paul. But we'll have him on. We'll have him on in a few weeks. Yeah, we're going to have him on in the show in a few weeks. But he he has got some just really – he's clarified the concept of disruptive theory to me so much so that I feel – very, very hopeful for the direction of Plugio. Like, I I've, I've understand the strategy that I'm going to use. And I'm not actually going to say it on the show. I don't know if I want to be completely transparent about it. Um, because do, are you convinced that absolute transparency isn't dangerous to your business? No, I, you know, I, I think it can be dangerous. I, I mean, it, it just depends. I mean, I, I don't think it hurt Plugio at all. I don't think so you had, far. 
no, so far. Now, I think what you don't want to do is if you start making money, I think then you want to start, you kind of want to be a little hush hush about the numbers. What you don't want to do is attract a bunch of people to your business model um, if you have a new business model. Um, it's kind of like when I was in the trading world, like all the traders would pretend that they weren't making any money. And you, that you'd be like, oh, so how are you doing? He's like, oh, man, it's tough out there. It's not like the way the old days, man, just grinding it out, you know? Then you find out like, they made like $3 million bucks or $5 million the previous year, you know? And you're like, what? You know, but see, the reason they don't, they don't want people coming and, tr- and trading their trade, right? They don't want people coming and standing next to them in the pits, make, you know, stealing their order flow. Okay. So pretend like there's no money to be made. And I think that's probably smart. You don't want to, if you found gold, if you go mining gold in the mountains and you find it, you want to shut the hell up. You don't want to tell, well, hey, that's a real problem, right? Because one of, the, one of the key components of disruption theory is to not let your competitors know that you're actually doing well. So you stay under the radar so that they ignore you. They don't notice what you're doing while you build up your defenses, which is, the worst position for us, because if any foo works and if Plugio works, well, do we just pretend that it's not working? No, I think, I mean, because, so, okay, so right now we're in a situation where we have no, there's no proof one way or the other it's going to work, right? It's just our idea. You and I believe in it. We think it's going to work, but that doesn't mean anything, right? Every, everybody founds a startup thinks that they have, they have a great idea, okay? I don't. I don't think we have to sit there and and, and talk about the numbers week in and week out and, and say anything. I think we can be kind of. I mean, you know, you. Oh, Peldy used it in Balsamic initially to get some attention, um, and you can do that. But um, and he and he also probably invited a lot of competition because oh, of that. massive massive amount. And he, and he said that it it didn't matter how much competition he invited because that just showed him as the market leader. Yeah, but it would it can matter in certain instances. So, like a situation where you're talking about marketplace, like any foo, it would matter, right? You want to be the de facto marketplace. You don't want there to be it be fractured over five marketplaces, you know. So, um, do we with with any foo? Do we quote the figures in any way ever, or do we just uh, I say think we we're could doing be, well? I think we could be low key about. I think we talk about in the beginning because the beginning is going to be very low and it's going to be very flat and it's not going to be very interesting. We had two sales this month, kind of thing. Yeah, that's what's going to be right, and yeah. we just have to be accept that. And, and probably for the first three to six months, it's going to be just more like you know, it's just going to be that. When you look at the graph and it goes flat right along the bottom near zero for a while, and then it starts to grow, I think we can be kind of open about that. But I think once people see that it actually is working, and there are experts on there, and clients happening, and people have done sessions, people will know that there's that it's working to some degree. And I, I think I don't think it matters. Well, did we make you know? 30,000 or do we make 3,000? I don't know if that in the well, end is going to add a whole lot of value. It's not like people are going to learn from that. All it's well, going to do is potentially inviting competitors if it does succeed. So will we be displaying on, I mean, as social proof, will, will, we, will, we, <laughs> will we be displaying on the front page of AnyFoo how much value worth of business has been done through AnyFoo to entice people to use it? I don't, I don't think we sh- probably should. Because if we do, I, 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 then people will know how much we've earned. I'd rather be a little more low key about the income. Um, I, I think we can be very upfront about the technology, about our ideas of how to make it better, about you know what we're learning, just, just kind of like stuff we've talked about already. But as and when that when the uh, when the rubber hits the road, we can right. actually talk about our learning experiences. But I don't think we have to say, okay, well, we made X dollars this month. I don't think you have to do that. And I I, I think it's probably smart idea not to do that. <laughs> you know. That's what I would say. 
And, um, but at some point, you know, and I think there was an article I read recently. It, was, it, might, have, it might have been a giga only talking about, like, don't launch in the press. I think it was something that uh, I think Eric Reese, um, the uh, lean startup guy, was talking about. And I agree with that. It's like, you know, you don't want to be like, because if you launch in the press and, you, and, your, and your system fails easier, easier technologically or usability-wise, everybody knows about it. It's a big fail. You kind of like, but I think what's better to do is that you kind of launch quietly. I mean, not quietly in the sense that you don't tell anybody, but you don't go and try and get a bunch of like, uh, you know, web magazines like The Next Web or, or Mashable to write about you. Right, you you leave that for six months down the road. Yeah, we're we're doing the kind of circular strategy, well, the concentric circle strategy, where we're starting off with the the low level press, moving into the slightly higher profile press. I think we do. You know, there's Twitter, you know, some Twitter and some Google Plus and the podcast. We'll probably get enough. Then we can work out the kinks. And and once we've done it, we're like, okay, we've had. 10 people do sessions. What do we learn? Now we've got a hundred people and then we can, each time we've gone to a next, another level and we've learned and learned from those, what went right and what went wrong, then we can kind of up it and say, okay, now we've had a hundred, six, we've had a hundred completed work sessions. You know, these are all the things that sucked. We fix those. Everyone, everything that people are, most of the things that people complained about that we can control, we fixed them. So let's maybe like try and do uh, you know, write a, big blog post in Hacker News and see if we can pull in a, you know, something more. I don't know. I think you just go kind of like that. You work your way up. You bootstrap your way up. And then, you, you know, and then you hit, you hit with the, you hit, you hit the press or the bloggers once you have like hooks for interesting stories about any foo. And I have about five, I think, really good hooks I, I, that, I, that I'm kind of been thinking about for the last couple of months. Good story ideas. All right. Well, you've, you've had at least five minutes to think about your prediction for 2012. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, I, I was going to ask you, I was going to predict, <laughs> uh, I was going to make a prediction about your, uh, your, one of your diets or something, but oh, I, no. ben, ben Boyder was, uh, he wanted me to lay off you. He thought I was grilling you too hard. So I, I, I promised him I'd give you a reprieve. Oh, so thank, not, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I won't, uh, I won't, uh, I won't grill you. That's Nothing. my, that's my present, my, my Christmas present from you. <laughs> yeah, he said he was getting a little tired of it, so I, I, I don't want anyone to think I'm being mean to you, so okay, I'm just going to, you know, let it go, whatever. <laughs> so, a prediction? A prediction. I, give, I gotta ask you, a prediction about what? What should I make a prediction of? Anything. It, could, it, it, it can literally be anything. Did you know that in Ireland, you can bet on anything? You can go into a bookie. I'm, I, I don't know whether this is true for all bookies, whether it's true. Do you know what a bookie is? It's like a place where you... Sure. I bet, sure. right. So, you, you, you could literally go in and say... I bet you a hundred euro because we use euro here that my child will be playing for the for for Ireland the Ireland soccer team by the time he's twenty. <laughs> really, <laughs> you could just bet anything, literally anything, and they will they they will um, basically pl- place a call to the head office and they'll say, "Oh, there's someone come in here and said they want to bet us that their that their kid will be playing for the Irish football team uh, by the time he's twenty. Um, what would so, okay, twenty five thousand to one, no problem. <laughs> they'll give you the bet twenty five thousand to one or whatever the odds are." But usually those kind of bets, um, they'll they'll give you very good odds. Really? Yeah. So that's that's interesting. I mean, like, how would you, and until they had more information about your kid, I mean, how do they? How would they make that assessment? And what if your kid is, you know, on some you know select team? He's fifteen and he's about to sign a pro contract. They don't even know that. They don't even. They, they'll they'll just they'll, they'll they'll. I mean, they will just do it. 
it's very, very funny, isn't it? That is funny. Wow. So, um, yeah, I would think that it just they're just making stuff up. It kind of reminds me of um, I remember back in the you know we had a trading uh, story, but um, one of the uh, guys who was one of the biggest uh, option traders in Chicago when that when that when the Chicago Board Options Exchange first started, and I think it started in like 1973, and you know he said that when they were out there in the in the pits you know, making markets. So there'd be brokers would come in and say, you know, what is your market? Essentially, what are your, just like what are your odds are on this bet? Because the price for an, a buy or sell a call or put option is the same thing as, as making odds on a bet. It's yeah. the same thing. Essentially market makers and options are just like bookies. Um, and the, the, there was, there was no black Scholes option pricing formula. There was nothing in academia that these guys used to say, well, given the volatility of the underlying stock and given the time to expiration and interest rates and strike price, then we'll figure out like what this option, this, what the odds should be. They were just making stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> they just, they're just making stuff up. Like, I don't know. It feels just like you're talking about. They were just kind of like, there is no formula. <laughs> there, no, I mean, we're just making crap up. He's like, it was amazing. It was just really, he's like well, thinking. That was, about just yeah. Really that great. was like uh, Peldy when um, he put his first price out there. I mean, a lot of people, when they do their plans and pricing, they just make stuff up. You got to start I think, somewhere. I think that's the way it is. I mean, you read all these articles about like, um, you know, well, the the right way to do pricing and this and that, and and you know, your input cost and your margin of it. And I think you just the only thing you pricing really has to do is like you're optimizing your income, and the way you do that is through trial and error. You're kind of iterating it through. You kind of take a best guess if there are, there are things that are similar to your product, whether you're going high end or you're going low end. So it depends on how you want to position yourself, right? If the average price is $100 for this thing, and that's the average, that's the sort of mainstream product, and I'm going to be the premium, then maybe you're $500 or you're $200. Or if you're going to undercut and be the low end, maybe you're $49. Um, you could do that. But in the end, you just got to iterate. You just got to like, and, and you could always up, price and, and move prices up and down. I mean, you see people do it all the time. Hey, um, Jason, um, I just want to interrupt you to say that in precisely 10 seconds time, it's going to be Christmas. And uh, now in precisely five seconds time, I'm going to wish you a happy Christmas. <laughs> Four, three, two, one. Happy Christmas. <laughs> happy Christmas. You would do it right. It's Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. It is happy Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, that's because Christmas. I've been drinking. You see, that, that's the that's the logo right there. Oh, that's the I Heineken. Flubbed it. <laughs> Merry Christmas. You can say Happy Christmas. We do say Happy Christmas over here all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that because everyone's drunk and at the pub? Or? Probably. Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so, um, I sort of have a uh, a question for you. Um, but we've we we've done our time, and well, it's we- Christmas. We got, I just I have a, I have a question. Oh, one more question. Oh, okay. For the good of the show, the good of the show. What um, you were talking about being like the Johnny Appleseed of uh, the Irish startup scene. Well, yeah, because I, I well I do talk about a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Spreading the word, but you'd also talked a little bit about how the mood over there isn't so great. That <laughs> things are kind of down because of what's going on in the eurozone and everything. I mean, what's your feel about that now? I knew you'd find a way to end the show on a downer. <laughs> it's not a downer. <laughs> it is. I was in a shop the other day, and um, the, the guy in front of me was just basically had a handful of euro coins and five cent coins and 20 cent coins, and he was just like scraping through his money. 
and you could kind of t- and he wasn't he was just a normal person and, and you could you could tell that you know that times are tight over here like it really it really has that feeling yeah yeah and are, a lot of there- people are in negative equity like like that when when you know when the house boom was there it really was high in ireland so there were houses that were like i mean i was walking past a house that i used to i used to live in that was valued around about 450,000 and now it's worth about 100,000 right which is yeah. pretty massive you know loss so they're all underwater like people in the US are i mean we're still underwater our place well it's funny a, fr- a friend of mine basically um and and he's told me because you know he he lives here he's saying that this is kind of what people are doing now he wanted to trade up houses right so he wanted to you know he's he's just had like a kid and he wants to move up into a bigger house than he used to have but he's his equity is obviously negative he's in negative equity so what he's doing is he's renting out that house and he's using that money to rent out a nicer house that is owned by landlords that are in negative equity <laughs> so people okay. are basically <laughs> up renting <laughs> Up renting, yeah. Well, now what's the standard of living over there? I mean, the cost of living, I should say, compared to here. I mean, could you live over there? Was your dollar go? Is your dollar go very far in Ireland or not? I mean, because you have the euro, which is still stronger than the dollar. I think it sort of seems the same at the end of the day. I mean, it's one, it's thirty percent in the difference. So a dollar is worth thirty percent less than the euro. Euro, right? So you don't really feel too much of a change because stuff is cheaper. You know, stuff costs less less units over here. So you know, like a, I don't know, a pint of milk is a euro or whatever, and which would equal one dollar thirty. I mean, it it just seems to work out okay at the end at the end of the it's day. Not too big a difference. No, no, not really. Huh. And are people doing startups over there? I haven't been in in touch with anyone who does startups. Like none of my circle of tech over here. <laughs> oh, you're opposite. Ex- They're very untech. In fact, it's almost impossible to get in, in touch with my friends because they they barely use mobile cell phones. <laughs> what do they do? They just they just they they just they're just kind of useless at it. Like they they have everyone has iPhones, but they just don't charge them. You know, they they keep them on silent. They like leave them on the other side of the room. <laughs> so you, basically, what everyone seems to do here. Well, anyway, my friends is um, you call up and leave a message, and then they'll kind of go and check their messages once every couple of hours to get back to you. I see. Right. We're used to people like <laughs> responding immediately. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. There's, there's Irish time, definitely. It's, it's a different um, time frame. You've got bullet time in the Matrix, which is very fast. <laughs> you've got normal time, which is like what you and me are on, and then you've got Irish time. <laughs> right. So um, two, two things I wanted to mention. One, one thing I was thinking, we're talking about doing a podcast with uh, the wives, yeah. startup wives, the real housewives of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we're going to do that. What? when you, After you come back, we're not going to do that online. We're going to use the DAT recorder. Yeah, that'll be good. I think it'll be a much better energy if we're all in the same room. Huh, I wonder. We've never done it that way, so it'll be curious if see how that works, yeah. other than the fact that you and I drove. So, okay, so we're gonna, the reason we didn't do, we were kind of planning to do that, the Christmas, this Christmas show with them, but the problem was that um, we would have different headsets and on different computers, and we were having the problem that because of the time difference, we'd have to do it during the day, but then our kids are up running around, and we can't really be recording quietly in one room, and the kids are destroying the house in the other part of the house. I right? think it would be good in the real world as well, because... Georgie and Sandy have never met, you know, like they should, you know, at least have 15 minutes, half an hour up front to just get to know each other. 
before we do the show. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to let people know that's, that's coming up hopefully in January. Um, that's really just a matter of like when we can get together, I guess, because that kind of makes things more difficult. We, with kids, it's not so easy for us to just right. do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll make it happen one way or the other. Um, at least once we're in the same time zone, we could, we could do it. Even if we didn't meet face to face, um, the kids, you know, when the kids are at school or something, we can do it. Um, the second thing I was going to say is I, uh, I haven't set the date yet, but we're going to get um, the guy, the co-founder or the founder and I guess the partner in the business of Kaggle on. Hmm. Um, did you, have you heard of Kaggle? No. So they, what they do is they run contests kind of like the Netflix prize where, where companies will upload some huge amount of data and have a, and have um, some kind of, you know, data problem they're trying to solve. Like we're trying to fairly optimal this or predict that based on this data set, whatever. And they'll put like a like kind of a bounty on it, like five or ten thousand, whoever wins. And I think Allstate did did something, and I think there was that NASA did something with predicting the location of dark matter or something like that. And I, there was another one that was like a a, a high frequency trading problem. And uh, so anyway, which I think is really interesting. And so it's just it's like the Netflix. Cool. But, you know, yeah, and so um, as it turns out, um, I, I I'm, I'm kind of blanking on the uh, on what started the back and forth. It was one of our listeners, um, uh, David, was emailed me about. Oh, you know what he emailed about? He emailed me about uh, Matt uh, studying math at the University of Chicago. He dropped out of the PhD program, just finished his math his yeah. master's degree there. Yeah, and uh, I, I emailed him back. I said, oh, because I think he just said he liked the show and. Something along these lines, like, hey, yeah. by the way, I, I'm also you've That was another really so, nice email that we got, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I emailed back, I said, by the way, so why, you know, why did you drop out of the program, or what are you doing? And that started a series back and forth. It turns out that he was working at Allstate, and he's the one who put the Allstate problem onto Kaggle. Right. Like he was who, yeah, so he said, well, now he actually is going to be working with Kaggle. Like he's going to be splitting his time between Chicago. I think his wife is still on a PhD program or something there, and he's going to be working with Kaggle. Uh, and so I said, "Hey, by the way, I really like these guys in the show. Can you put in a good word for us?" And so he's the one to sort of set it up. Oh, sweet! That was kind of cool. So that was kind of cool. You know, it's like um, this is kind of a small world, and and I it's funny because I had just come across Kaggle some other way, and I can't remember. And then I happened to see something on, on Allstate problems sponsored by them when I was kind of looking through problems and things that people had solved. And he said he worked at Allstate, and I'm like, wait a minute, you know, do you know about Kaggle or what? And he said, yeah, I'm the guy who set the thing. So, Hey, could you get um, Travis on the show to talk about Uber? Yeah, I could try. You know, um, you know what well, my better, Travis, because we've had him on. I mean, it's not well, better, but... You're thinking Curtis. We could get Curtis on. What do you think? Yeah, not not a bad idea. That would be a techie show. It would be a techie well, show versus on, an entrepreneurial one. Yeah, Curtis could kind of tell his side of the story. You've heard my side about you know, working on the dispatch server and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he, he spends his time worrying about things that I haven't had to spend too much time on, a lot more infrastructure issues and, and things. And he could talk more about that. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a really smart guy, nice guy. So he'd be great to have on. Um, Travis tells a great story. Um, he is super busy flying yeah. around. He's like always like out of town flying somewhere because we're launching like two cities a month or something like that. I don't yeah. know what it is. It's insanity. And so, I mean, I were talking to his personal assistant and uh, Patchney and she's just like, <laughs> books his schedule so full that sometimes, sometimes he rebels. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> She'll sign him up for stuff and he just won't do it. 
And it was so funny. He's like, I refuse. I'm not doing that. I'm not having that meeting. You know, it's funny. Like your personal assistant is like the one in charge. You're just like, you become the slave to your schedule. Yeah. <laughs> and the controls the schedule controls you. Um, but uh, yeah, well, well I'll, I'll see if I can get Travis on. I mean, not, you know, he's pretty busy. We'll, we'll see if he'd, if he'd be up for it or not. But at the very least, I can get Curtis on, which I think would be good. So the other thing I want to talk about. We, you know, quick. we have to end this show at some point. Not necessarily. It doesn't have to be an end. This could be the longest show in the history of texting, which would be something because we've had a two-hour show at least, at least two hours before, right? Yeah. I think our longest is roughly two. So um, I decided I wanted to do a little bit of a project with Colby. Nice. Um, Because you know one thing we have a little when you have kids is it's it's like it's fun if you can like do stuff with them. I mean, you know, there's there's only some things that you can really interact with them. They're playing with things and it's like it's kind of hard to you know it's kind of hard to play with little toys that they're playing with it's like not really so much fun um but uh i said let's make a movie let's take the iphone i have an iphone 4s now has this really good high definition camera and let's just shoot a bunch of stuff maybe a bunch of christmas stuff and we'll figure out we'll make we'll make like a, a little mini movie either it'll be about it'll be sandy was saying it should be like a reality show christmas special like the roberts you know, reality show, <laughs> like you know, like the Kardashians or something. Keeping up with the Kardashians, <laughs> it's like the equivalent. Like Colby will shoot it and we'll cut it up on iMovie. Have you tried to do that yet? Have you ever shot much video and tried to cut anything together? No. And the, the one, the one pain about the um, iPhone is is the kind of aspect ratio of it. I, I guess that's actually widescreen, though, isn't it? It's kind of okay. Yeah. It, but yeah. It, but your inclination is to shoot it vertical. You just got to remember to shoot it sideways. Yeah, I learned that lesson. I was just because I just brought up iMovie, you know, a day or two ago, and I asked Colby to. I said, "Come here, sit down with me. Let's 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 take a look at this." And the first thing I was like, "What the hell's wrong with this video? Why is it all stretched out?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." <laughs> like, I, you know, the vertical thing. So now I now I know how to how to shoot it. And so what I've been trying to do is just I've been taking lots of little mini shots of things so that we can mm-hmm. kind of stitch them together. And I've been trying to explain to Colby like, "Look, you don't want one long running shot." For like 30 seconds. That's really boring to watch. What you want to do is make shots that are like a second, two seconds, five seconds, two seconds. You know, if like, so we were like watching some Christmas movie or something. It was like a Tim, Tim Allen type of thing. And, and I was like, see, one, two seconds, boom, one second, switch to this person. One, one, Will two, three. Would you make three, it public or is it um, for, just for we'll the see if it's, if it's if it's If it's funny or cute enough, if it's not totally ridiculous and terrible than I will. But if it's like, you know, if, if we can come up with something like two or three minutes or it's kind of funny, I'll sure I'll make a link to it, put up on YouTube or something. But uh, I was just, the thing is like, it's just amazing. Like the quality of video that's in our stupid little phones. It's amazing, right? Yeah. You can shoot a high definition 1080p widescreen yeah, nuts. video on your phone. It's not even like a cheap camera. It's your freaking phone. And you can cut it up. You can create the movie using iMovie. You can do all kind of transitions. You can, you know, do do everything you need to do to stitch it together. It doesn't have to be some silly home movie, which is like one long running movie shot that's like four minutes long and it's jumbling all over the place. You could yeah. actually shoot something. And you know, I always always they you always hear about how oh, you know, there's going to be this revolution, and once all these cameras are out there and computers, that people are going to be making all kind of movies. But the reality is, is very very few people actually have the energy and creativity to create anything. Mm-hmm. You notice that? It was like, you rarely see much of anything. I mean, there yeah. are people who have done some things, but it's just, 
proportion-wise, the number of people who have this awesome camera on their phone and everybody has an iPhone or a huge percentage of them have Macs, which comes with iMovie, they don't do anything with it. I don't know. YouTube would argue with you on that one. I mean, there's loads of people putting up loads of crap on YouTube. I mean, just absolutely zillions of, of videos. But how many people are making movies? I don't. I don't mean. I mean, are short movies or? or long, I'm not talking about like here's <sighs> somebody falling off a you know a, a, a um, trampoline or somebody crashing in skis or somebody karaokeing or talking in computer. I'm talking about like someone shooting like a like a okay. fiction movie. I got two answers for that. Like thousands of people, but at the same time, a, a, a tiny mi- mi- minority of the other people. So. Not very many people, but a lot of people, a lot of people as well. Large in the absolute, insignificant in percentage-wise. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, what I want to do is I want to show Colby. I want to kind of give him the tools. Like, look, you know, there's an incredible amount of things that you can create. I want to teach him how to write code. I want to teach him how to make a movie, shoot stuff. And, you know, even if it's like really kind of simple, um, he'll understand the power that is his hands. It all he lacks that all you have to bring to it, really, is creativity and some energy, just to do it. But it, it, is there a risk of him being confused and not understanding, not ever being able to find a vocation? <laughs> got to worry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know. No. <laughs> it was like, well, I'm not going to have my kids study you know, any, anything but one subject in school because they might just get so distracted by all the different subjects. You know right. I mean? Come on. Um, but I was going to ask you, in terms of like audio, have you ever used GarageBand? Yes, I have. God, I find that that piece of software really difficult to use. It's just it's just counterintuitive to um, the traditional model. So the traditional model is with with a mixing desk and and sound buses and all that kind of stuff, which I'm kind of used to. Um, so a lot of software models itself on actual mixing desks, whereas uh, GarageBand it it's just kind of a computer thing. So it seems weird and difficult. It's awkward. It's it's unintuitive to you because yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's but you me. can make what music and soundtracks using what built-in sounds or something or what? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got a, it's got enough built-in for you to completely create songs, yeah, from the ground up. Really? So oh, totally. I would love to play around with that. I mean, I know nothing about music, but I would like to mess around with it. It's got I loops. Know. It's got loops already there. So you just you just repeat the loop and then add other different instruments on top and then shove a microphone in and sing into it. Like you can very easily even anyone could just you know start making music well i don't think i'm going to be singing into it but uh, (laughs) it'd be cool to make like some kind of weird background soundtrack or something if we shot if we shot um we shot some video because i was listening to this interview with jj abrams on uh the nerdist podcast have you heard of the nerdist podcast no i haven't no it's actually i've only listened to one or two um and he's the guy who does okay first of all you know the show the soup uh, I think I've heard of that, yeah. Um, with, I'm blanking on the guy's name. He does com- the TV show Community. He's really funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they just go over like reality TV show clips and different things and make fun of and talk shows and make fun of everybody. Right. And there's a there's sort of a spinoff called Web Soup where yeah. the host, who's also the host of um, Nerd, the Nerdist podcast, he, um, he, you know, they talk about kind of funny stuff, but it's stuff that's off of like YouTube and, and different websites. So I'd read an article about it in Wired. I think it was like, a, you know, maybe the November issue of Wired or something. It was talking about the Nerdist podcast and him. And actually, one really funny anecdote he was talking about. I guess he did the TV show, the dating TV show on MTV called Singled Out. Do you remember that from back in uh, then? No. Days back? Nope. Yeah. Okay. It was just this, I might have been from the 90s or at least late. It, it wasn't any later than the early 2000s, I don't think. And it was with his co-host was Jenny McCarthy. Mm-hmm. You know who Jenny McCarthy is, right? Yes. 
He's kind of the funny blonde bombshell. Yeah. Right? So I guess Jenny McCarthy was being interviewed. He was talking about how his life had kind of, he hasn't done crap and he had gained a lot of weight and was just sitting around the house just playing video games. All he would do is play video games and just be kind of unproductive and everything. And he's watching an episode of The Daily Show and he worked at The Daily Show, you know, mm-hmm. just a kind of a production assistant. And Jenny McCarthy, his, his, Ex co-host from Singled Out is being interviewed by John Stewart, and John and she said and she they said something about Singled Out. He's like, you know, I think your co-host, so I forget the guy's name, he works here, and she's like, yeah, he does. He's like, yeah, he gets my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he's watching this. He's watching this uh, show, and he's like, balls. He's like, what? She's like, oh my god. I'm. He's like, yeah, that's what here at rock bottom, right? Your co-host is being interviewed. I like. Uh, the Daily Show, and you're getting the host coffee. Yeah. So that's when he the, the article was basically about how he started getting his act together and stop playing, stop drinking, and stop playing video games, start being productive. But he started this podcast called The Nerdist, which is kind of, I think it's um, it, it's I, I don't I can't really sum it up yet because I only listened to like two episodes. But um, the the episode I just listened to was an interview with J.J. Abrams, who created uh, he had Alias and Lost and Fringe and Super Eight and Star Trek and all this stuff, right? Really, uh, kind of really interesting guy. And he said, you know, he created. I think he said he created the um, the sound, the, the background, like the theme music for Lost. Mm-hmm. And he created. I think he said he created using just GarageBand. Like he just created this like temporary little sound. He's like, oh, this will just be good enough for now, and then just end up sticking. Like, right. all right, well, I guess that's it. So, like, that the, often uh, happens. It often happens to, to, because you, you, it's your inspiration. Right. You know, so you, you stick with your inspiration. But I thought that's really cool that you could use something like GarageBand to create a, you know, a, a theme song to, yeah. to something. That's amazing. So, we have GarageBand, it's free. Mm-hmm. We have iMovie, it's free. You can put stuff up on YouTube or Vimeo, free. You have this camera. I mean, you have this. You have, everyone has these high-powered 1080p shooting high-def cameras. The camera is effectively free because it came with your phone, which you pretty much got through a contract. Free. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you know, make something. So, I don't know. I mean, I've talked to big games, so we'll see if we shoot anything. But I, I'm going to start small, right? You know, the minimal viable product concept. So, I told Colby, okay, here's what I want to do. Just to, just to test out the camera, test out shooting, I'm going to get our, my youngest daughter, Aerie, um, to walk down through the house and we're, we're going to shoot her at different angles as she's walking through. So we'll have her, you know, cause like when you have someone walking through a house, like if you're in a TV show, you wouldn't just like walk behind them necessarily, or you wouldn't just like walk, um, you know, just stand in one position. You would kind of walk and see them leave a room and you'd start in the next room. You see them come through the door and then you'd kind of follow them a little bit and then you'd like kind of position yourself at another angle, have them walk through that kind of thing. And you'd stitch it together. So it'd be like this, this walk through the house from different angles to make it see if it works. Right. Yeah. So I think that's the thing we're going to start with. So if we can get that work, we can cut it up. Then we'll be like, okay. Jason, but, I am going to have to be Scrooge. I am going to have to be screwed. You're ending it? And You're end ending. this show. Because it is Christmas. It is 20 past midnight on Christmas. My wife is here. I'm also with my sister. And they're, they're, <laughs> they're downstairs waiting for me to join them. <laughs> I think they're happy, right? They're probably having a little girl talk. Probably, yeah, probably. Probably talking know. about you, you know? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good show. It's a nice long show. 
Yeah. Mer- Merry Christmas to all our listeners. Um, hopefully you're happy, listening to this on Christmas Day. Happy Christmas to you, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> happy Christmas to all our listeners. And I will try and release this tomorrow on Christmas Day. Um, yeah. And uh, I want to thank everyone for the, uh, you know, who sent an email or I left a comment uh, encouraging us for the show and especially all of the uh, kind words about my mother passing. I really, really appreciate that. That was really nice. In actual fact, thank you to all of our listeners just for, for continue, you know, for your continued support and for listening to the show on a weekly basis. Thank you so much. Sticking with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. We pre-appreciate it. We do. All right. Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. A very happy Christmas <laughs> to everyone. All right, that's a wrap. We're out.